This is the Dreamers Podcast, episode 28, with business strategist, entrepreneur, author, and marketing guru, Tina Wells. I've always approached my work with an abundance mindset. Like there's room at the table for everyone. There's more than enough. We just have to be really creative. And so I will tell you, people often find it strange that they'll say, I need to work with so-and-so. And I'll say, here are my people. I'll just open up my Rolodex and make it happen. And I really deeply believe in abundance, right? I believe in many things like being in the right place at the right time and being prepared for where you are and where you want to transition to. Hello, world. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I am Stephanie Annies also known as Annie's Wealth. I'm a financial coach and an author. I self-published my first book, Dream of Legacy, a guide to help dreamers reach financial independence and build generational wealth. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with experts and thought leaders who dare to follow their dreams. You'll hear about their journey and their money stories. I hope it inspires you, dreamers out there, to live life on your own terms. Let's change the world! This episode is brought to you by Dream of Legacy. Check out dreamoflegacy.com for resources to assist you on your journey to financial independence. Hello, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Annie's Wealth. I am so, so happy that you're here today for this episode. On the podcast today, I am talking with Tina Wells. I was so happy when Tina agreed to come on the podcast. She's had an amazing career so far, and she's an inspiration for women, especially women of color. Tina started a marketing agency at 16 years old. She had clients like the Oprah Winfrey Network, Dell, Apple. She ran the company for 24 years. Yes, the company she started at 16 years old. And then she transitioned into a different career, and she's now a best-selling author of seven books, including the twin fiction series, Mackenzie Blue, and its soon-to-launch spin-off series, The Z-Files. Tina is the founder of the Elevation Tribe, a community that she created to help women launch, grow, and lead their businesses with a focus on women of color. Tina has been recognized by Fast Company as one of the 100 most creative people in business, and in essence, 40 under 40. In today's episode, Tina gives us insight into her entrepreneurial journey, which started when she was a teenager. She shares entrepreneurial mistakes that most up-and-coming entrepreneurs make, and she discusses the importance of understanding who your customer is and how to market to them. We talk about the unique challenges that women of color face as entrepreneurs and as wealth builders, and uh, how having an abundance mindset played into her elevation. As a serial entrepreneur, she talks about essential qualities that entrepreneurs should have and uh, the lessons she wished she had learned earlier in her journey. We talk about her biggest money mistake and so much more. Here is Tina Wells. Tina Wells, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be here. Do you mind telling the Dreamers a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So... 
Uh, let me give you the quick version. Uh, I started my first company when I was 16. I was a teenager with a literal passion for fashion and I wanted to be a fashion writer. Ended up landing a job at a newspaper for girls and becoming a product review editor. That turned into a market research career uh, and I uh, successfully worked in marketing. I, I opened uh, an agency called Buzz Marketing Group that I ran for about 24 years and worked with over 350 brands and built a network of over 40,000. We call them buzz spotters. And then, you know, really transitioned into my true passion right now, which is creating uh, inclusive content that represents everyone with a focus on tweens. And so right now I am literally living the dream, uh, writing a book series for tween girls called The Z Files. And this fall, my second series will debut or updated series called Honest June. And then I'm also working on a third. And, and so it will be my fourth project um, for middle grade readers. And so super excited. And now I spend my days talking about TV shows and movies and product lines. And, and it's a little bit different than when I was a marketer, but still the same passion of connecting consumers with products that they love. You've done so much. I'm not sure where to start, but how about we start from the beginning when you started your business as a teenager? and built an agency that lasted for over two decades and served some amazing clients. So I started working with uh, Ms. Winfrey about five years ago when I built the Super Soul 100 for Oprah Winfrey Network. And it's definitely the, a career highlight. But when I was in my teens, my like first quote unquote client was Dermalogica. And it was like a baby new brand, you know, all those years ago and philosophy and Saucony. So I did get to work with a lot of iconic brands as a teenager and the brands just got bigger and bigger, you know, as I got older. And then obviously for me, the height of my career was working on the Super Soul 100 for Oprah Winfrey Network. So you successfully ran the Buzz Marketing Group for 24 years. How did you know that it was time to transition to something else? Yeah, so I think for me, the transition was much more like a personal transition. I had gone through this really awesome fellowship program uh, within the Aspen Global Leadership Network called the Henry Crown Fellowship. And it was really kind of the first time in my career that I could really be introspective and really had, you know, these carved out moments to, you know, read and be really inspired by what I was reading and also to really reflect on what the next stage of my career was going to look like. And what I realized was, you know, as a teenager growing up and even a younger as a tween, you know, and obviously when, when I was growing up, we didn't even use that language, right? So just as a kid, I read books every single day. Like all I did was read and just dreamt about the world that I wanted to create and the world I wanted to live in. And what I realized was that there weren't as many girls who looked like me in the books I was reading, right? There were characters that I really related to, but I couldn't honestly say there were girls who looked like me that were reflecting that. And so I decided that that was really what I wanted to focus on. And that's what brought me so much joy is just creating these stories and getting to really build these worlds and create these exciting experiences. And so that is really what caused, you know, that transition for me. So earlier you mentioned that you were working on a series about Honest June. Yeah. What inspired you to bring the Honest June character to life? So it's interesting. June is my first original story um, in many, many years because The Z Files is a spinoff of my best-selling series, Mackenzie Blue. And so Honest June is about a girl who can't tell a lie. Um, it's a little bit of magic in there. She, uh, you know, gets blessed with the ability to not lie by this fairy godmother. And 
it's just such a fun, fun series to write. And I, you know, the idea is really about as girls, you know, when we're kind of coming of age, there's this idea that we've got to please mom and dad, we've got to please our friends, we've got to please everyone. And what do we sacrifice to make everybody else happy? And so June uh, is just a delightful character. You know, the cast for that series is an all black cast. So I was super excited to, you know, create these really rich characters. And it's just been so fun to write. And, you know, that series debuts uh, exclusively at Target in September, and then it goes wide in December. So I just can't wait for readers to, you know, em- hopefully embrace June and really, you know, find something in June that they love. It's amazing because even though there's more representation today, there's still not enough. So little girls can pick up a book or watch a series with an all-black cast as it definitely helps shape the mind of what's possible. Yes. So let's talk about your Elevation Tribe. Yay! Can you tell me about the vision behind that? Elevation Tribe was my venture project when I was in my my fellowship at the Aspen Institute. And I noticed at the time that there were these really amazing networks popping up for women like Girl Boss and Create and Cultivate. And what I thought was that you know, women of color who are founders, we have such unique challenges and nuances that I really wanted to build content community and experience that really spoke to us and spoke to how we really want to launch, grow and lead companies. And so that was really the vision behind Elevation Tribe is that, you know, we see ourselves again, reflected back. So when we hear examples of women who are doing it and who are making it, that there are women who look like us and women who understand the really unique challenges. And so as an example of that, you know, when I was doing research for, you know, Elevation Tribe, I found this interesting statistic that the average woman of color is doing 30 hours of home care on top of a full-time job, right? So whether it's caring for an aging parent or their family, that is looks very different than other women. And so how we speak to that challenge of those nuances, I can't say hop on a plane and go to this conference and that conference. Sometimes it's about just finding time to carve out an hour a week to get things done, you know? And I am in that demographic of like dealing with, you know, parents who are aging and, and growing families and siblings and wanting to spend time with my niece and all those things that come along, but it's very unique. And so I really wanted to make sure that the content I was creating was really reflective of our challenges. And another example is that for black women or black people in general, 46% of us are either unbanked or underbanked. And so when you think about how we need to get access to capital to build our businesses, we first need to start talking about what it looks like to have a good relationship with your bank, right? And so it just, there's some content that we needed that I felt was really different. And so for the second issue of our work journal, uh, I partnered with JP Morgan Chase and they brought in some really great financial literacy and some really important resources. You're making a great point about, you know, just even nurturing the relationship with your bank as a business owner. Yes. And, you know, I was wondering because most of our listeners are either entrepreneurs or they're aspiring entrepreneurs. With the Elevation Tribe, did you identify any common mistakes or things that entrepreneurs overlooked early on in their business that they should focus on? You've probably heard this statement a million times, right? Like, well, I talked to my friends and I talked to my insert closest person and they told me that this was a great idea. So I've now risked my life savings to bring this to fruition, you know? Lack of research. Yeah, and in reality, it's like, but do you have product market fit? Because 
once all of your friends and family have bought from you, who are you selling to from that point on, you know? And so I think it's incredibly important to understand where your product fits in the market, who the end user is going to be, and to be incredibly clear on that person. And I, I will tell you, I was just consulting with a client and she was talking about, you know, the admin side of her business needing some work. And I said, I would rather a client need help on the admin side of their business than need help figuring out who their customer is, right? Because if you have a customer, we know this as, you know, black women who run businesses, you have a customer, you're making money, you're, we're going to figure out the other stuff. And yeah, it might take us a bit longer to scale or do other things. But if you don't even know who your customer is, that is, you know, that's a really, really big issue. That's a great point. Can you maybe share an early childhood memory that you have when it comes to money? Oh gosh. It's interesting. I, I remember I was doing this event or like mindfulness retreat or something, which are those kind of things I love. And someone said to go back to your earliest experience with money or what you thought or where your feelings on, you know, abundance or lack come from. And I remember doing that and thinking about, you know, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, you know, that that's definitely a community where there are many farmers and it's all about, you know, the beauty of the place, but just the, um, like the beautiful land. And I remember uh, we had a farmer who would come to our house once a week and, and tell my parents what he had for the week. And then he'd come back. And I remember my first memory of abundance, just being like, oh my God, we have all this incredible food and it's so beautiful. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily for me connected to eating it. It was connected to seeing the farmer at the front door with this stuff that, and I thought about that often and just the idea that I've always approached my work with an abundance mindset. Like there's room at the table for everyone. There's more than enough. We just have to be really creative. And so I will tell you, people often find it strange that they'll say, I need to work with so-and-so. And I'll say, here are my people. I'll just open up my Rolodex and make it happen. And I really deeply believe in abundance, right? I believe in many things like being in the right place at the right time and being prepared for where you are and where you want to transition to. But I always go back to that early image of like the farmer at my house and just knowing that like, wow, we have a lot of really good food here, <laughs> you know, and just what that meant for me, even at three years old, like, you know, just, I just remember seeing him and being very happy about what was happening. If you've been around for a while, then you know how much I care about financial freedom for all. One thing that often gets in the way of that is debt. That's why I'm happy to announce that I've partnered with an amazing organization called Juno. Juno helps you get lower interest rates by using the power of group negotiation. It is a completely free resource that you can use to secure lower interest rates on new and existing student loans. Head to the link in the episode show notes to find out more. Sunday Skincare Day is one of the ways I keep my sanity in these crazy times. Jumino is an all-natural, Black-owned skincare brand carefully handcrafted by parents who could not find the proper care solutions to address their family skin problems. All Jumino products are made of organic and high-quality ingredients, meticulously chosen to give your skin the smooth results and the glow it deserves. 
mentioned approaching life or your business with an abundance mindset. And, you know, it's a quality often overlooked, but it's so important when it comes to building wealth or even building a successful business. If you're always thinking there's only enough for a select few, then you're not necessarily in a sharing mood and it might limit the relationships that you could build, limit your opportunities, and ultimately your ability to build more wealth for yourself. Yeah, it it really is. I, I agree with you. I think it's really overlooked. And it's one of those things where understanding that there's room at the table for everyone doesn't mean that you also don't protect yourself in business. Those aren't mutually exclusive. It just means that, you know, if you want to have 20 people over to your house for dinner, you're still going to make sure it's a safe experience, right? It's just coming from the place of saying, just because I win doesn't mean that you lose. And that's the way I approach things. It's like, no, everybody here can win. Can you share a big money mistake you've made? I made so many. I will tell you one of the things I really believe in now as a, as a financial practice is something called profit first. And I remember when I read the book, I thought this is the book I should have read in my twenties, especially for founders who are operators in their business. You know, we tend to make the mistake of paying ourselves last and creating all kinds of financial insecurity for ourselves. And when I started following Profit First, what I realized the secret where I was making the mistake was always putting myself last and creating expenses that if I had just re-engineered and put myself first, I when I started doing that, it really actually upset me quite a bit in the beginning of this practice. It, while it was freeing, it really upset me because it made me realize that um, it's kind of the, the philosophy with the plates. If you get a big plate, you're going to fill a big plate. And if you get a smaller plate, you're going to fill a smaller plate. And I, I say that in regards to our expenses for business. Because I kept giving my expenses a big plate, I kept filling that plate with large expenses. And when I started to give my expenses a smaller plate, I found that I was filling a smaller plate, first of all, but also finding really unique ways and getting so specific on the talent I brought into projects that I actually was upping the game of what I was able to create because now there was no margin for like, oh, it's okay if it's not the right person, we'll get it right next time and we'll just keep rehiring. Now what started to happen was if I needed a copywriter, I didn't just hire someone who said that they could write copy. I was hiring the copywriting expert. I was hiring a fraction of their time. So they were getting paid more, but I was getting exactly what I needed. And so it made me a lot better at identifying very specific needs because I started to treat my money like I didn't even have a dollar to waste, you know? And so I think that was a huge shift for me. And I wish I had understood what a profit first mindset looked like a long time ago. As a woman who's been successful in different fields, do you have any words of advice or wisdom for women who are interested in rising to the top of their profession? Uh, at first, I would say curiosity. I am genuinely curious. When I was a marketer, I was completely obsessed with why people did what they did. And based on the client, that curiosity always played out in a different way. And so my focus as a marketer is, you know, when you think about marketing, marketing is both an art and a science, right? So you're using and interpreting data and then coming up with cool, creative messaging and ways to then get to your customer. And I always was very cognizant of both of those sides. And so what I mean by that is I write for middle grade girls. I don't write for YA. And most people would say, oh, but they're only a few years older. I am really laser focused on understanding what seven to 13 year old girls want, period. Right. I maybe could tell you what a six-year-old girl wants. I maybe, but 
but my laser focus is delivering on that content and experience for that girl. When I, when I look at Elevation Tribe, I am laser focused on what women of color who are launching businesses need. That is what, you know, the research, the data, the insights, all of that that I'm gathering is to be in service to people in both of those demographics. And so I think it's okay to change careers. What you need to do though, is go in and do a deep dive and really focus on getting educated and not, I think sometimes we come in saying, I have a solution to you, but we haven't listened to actually understand the problem or even taken a beat to know that there is a problem. One thing I've really missed over the course of the pandemic is airports. You know, I do my best market research in airports. I just look, I look at how families are traveling, how people are traveling, what are they wearing? What are they doing? Am I noticing a pain point? You know, and so there's a lot of observation that I think goes into creating really good products. And it means you're listening and observing more than you're talking and doing. And so great bit of my time is spent just, you know, watching and observing and then processing and figuring out, okay, is there a place in the market for product market fit? Do I think I can come in with a unique approach and then come up with something for that market? You said something very interesting there, the importance of being very specific on your niche as opposed to designing a product or service to appeal to as many people as possible. Absolutely. You know, I spent um, six years teaching uh, at Wharton uh, and I was the academic director of a program called Leadership in the Business World. And I, I would teach my students like it is not, not good when you say this product is for everyone. It's very expensive to market to everyone. You know, the best marketers, I think, have an idea in their head and can actually name their ideal customer, right? It's like Susan is 46 and she loves to do this and she has three kids and this is what her life looks like. And that's really important when you are you know, developing a product. And so I think that the more focused you can be, first of all, we can't, as small business owners, we cannot afford to advertise to everyone. So we've got to be really, really laser focused. So I'd like to end the interview with a round of rapid fire questions. Ooh, okay. <laughs> can you tell me about a book that changed your perspective on life? I will tell you about the book that changed my life when I was a tween. And it's called From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankenweiler. And it's about a brother and sister who run away and they go to live at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it is absolutely a magical book. I, I remember at that age thinking that there was nothing that was more exciting to me than leaving New Jersey to go to New York and live at the Met. <laughs> and it just really impacted me so greatly. It was fun and whimsical. And I loved the premise because, you know, at the age I felt you know, that like her parents were getting on her nerves. And I understood at that age, what it felt like for your parents to be getting on your nerves. So <laughs> it's just one of those books that I'm like, I love everything about this book. What's one thing about money you wish you could tell your younger self? That it's okay to make mistakes because you can always make more money. You can't make more time. What's the best investment in yourself you've made so far? I would say every vacation where I completely unplugged was the best investment because I got to see the world. I got to really give myself the rest that I needed to refill and get back to the level of creativity. So there's, you know, vacations and really taking down time has been the best gift that I've given myself. How often do you get to unplug? Outside of a pandemic, I would do like one really, really, really big three-week trip. And then I would say every quarter, I was at least taking a week. But the big, like, I'm gone, I'm off the grid, I'm doing something great would probably be once a year. Filling the blank in three words or less. Money to me is? Freedom. 
What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. What do I want my legacy to be? I think that if I can show other people how to unlock their creativity and to create something that's of service to the world, I would feel incredibly fulfilled. Tina, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and your tips with the audience. Can you please tell the dreamers where they can find you? Absolutely. Thank you, Stephanie. It's been amazing. And they can find me at tinawells.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was Tina Wells. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. On the podcast next week, I am chatting with celebrity ghostwriter Pollyanna Reed. Also coming up on the podcast in August, we have personal finance expert Ryan O'Neill, credit expert Anita Johnson-Hall. Stay tuned for much more. If you enjoyed today's episode, here's what you can do to support me and help more dreamers discover the podcast. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I read every single review and I'll select one review to read on the podcast every month. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Share the podcast with your family, friends, and coworkers. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, tag me on Instagram at thedreamers.podcast and let me know what you liked about it. All right, dreamers, that's it for today. I will see you back here next week for another episode of The Dreamers Podcast. Okay, dreamers. Time to build this legacy. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax, legal, financial planning, insurance, accounting, investment, or any other kind of professional advice or services. Please consult with an appropriate tax, financial, or legal professional to receive appropriate advice based on your situation.